in life there are a lot of warnings. Some of those warnings seem necessary. Some of those warnings seem completely unnecessary. This, of course, is just one of those found on many irons. Do not use while wearing shirt. Alright? So make sure that those of you who still iron, make sure that you're not wearing the clothes while you are attempting to iron them. But there are more. I don't know who the poor fellow was that made this necessary. But do not hold the wrong end of the chainsaw. Alright? Make sure that you are holding by the handle when you go to crank that chainsaw. Do not be holding it by the wrong end. And for you jet ski lovers, never use a lit match or open flame to check fuel level. Now, (laughs) there is a reason that these labels exist. An unfortunate reason. (laughs) And the unfortunate reason that these labels exist is because somebody, somewhere, at some time, did just this. And quickly discovered, hey, you know what? I don't think that's the way you're supposed to do that. In Scripture, in Scripture, there are a lot of warnings as well. And one of the warnings that we're going to see today directly connects with the sermon series that we have been looking at in regards to the heart. Just to take you back a few weeks, when we began the sermon series, we looked at when God chose David to be the second king of Israel and why he chose David and that there was something special, there was something unique about the heart of David that set him apart even from his own brothers. And over in Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, it is recorded that that God saw David after a... He was a man after his own heart. Man, that's a wonderful thing to be known as, isn't it? And from there we went and we spent some time looking at that beautiful prayer of David in Psalm 139 there in verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. And we talked about the reason that that prayer is so important is because even David, a man who was a man after the very heart of God, he knew that even a a good heart at times could go bad. And so as David writes in Psalm 95 and verse 8, he begins that verse with this warning, Do not harden your hearts. Three times in the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, by the way, was written to Christians who had been converted from the Jewish faith, and and many of them now were going back to that Jewish faith. And as Hebrews was being written, this very warning is brought up three times in just two chapters. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning of verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Skip down to verse 15. It says, as it is said, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. If you go over to chapter 4, there in verse 7, it says again, He appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, Our first thought, our first thought may be, 
This is an irrelevant warning. This is like those warnings that I just mentioned. I know better than to hold the chainsaw from the wrong end. I know better than, than to iron while I'm wearing my clothes. I certainly know better than to check any fuel gauge with a lit match. <laughs> so though this is kind of irrelevant for me, this doesn't really apply to me. I, I have a heart for God. I'm here. I've been singing praises to God. I just communed around His table. I, I love the Lord. I, I worship Him. I have a heart for God. So, you know, th- this really isn't about me. And I would say that if, if that thought ever crosses your mind, be very, very careful. Because we need not ever be a people who are so naive or egotistical to think that we ourselves are not always in danger of developing a hard heart. And we need to make sure that we understand the severity. What is at risk when one does develop said hard heart? Again, the Hebrew writer would write in Hebrews 3, beginning of verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. When we allow our hearts to grow hard, We're risking everything. When we allow our hearts to go hard, we are allowing ourselves to put our very soul, to put eternal life, to hold everything that we consider so valuable. We're putting all of those things at risk. You say, well, can we repent? Absolutely. As long as there is breath in our body, as long as today is today, there is an opportunity for one to repent. And praise God for it. But I think it's also important to point out this very hard and sad reality of life. The longer a person's heart is hard, the longer they don't search for God, the longer they don't know God, the longer they continue to exist in apathy, the more unlikely, the more unlikely it will be that they will ever reach a point in their life where they will see a need or even a desire to come back to God and to His church. So be careful, church. Be very, very careful not to allow your hearts to be hardened. So what is it that can harden our heart? Well, let's go back to our text in Psalm 95 and verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. Okay, well what happened there? We go back to Exodus chapter 17. We can see exactly what happened there. In Exodus 17, it says there, beginning in verse 1, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Go down to verse 7. It says that he called the name of the place 
Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord, is he among us or not? Life was hard. They, they, they had been in Egyptian bondage for so long. Now they are in the state of, in the wilderness. They're thirsty. They're in the desert. It's hot. They're thirsty. They're, they're, they're so thirsty that they believe, they perceive that we're dying of thirst. As a matter of fact, you have, you have obviously just brought us out here to die. To die of thirst. And they're, they're grumbling against Moses. They're grumbling against God. They're saying, are you here? Is this God? I mean, we're, we're hurting. We're suffering. Where's God? Is He even among us? Now, fast forward from that to the time when the Hebrew writer was writing. Like I said before, the, the book of Hebrews was written to Christians who had come from Judaism, but they weren't content in their Christianity. Things weren't going the way they had hoped they would go. And so many of them now, in their dissatisfaction with the Christian faith, they are beginning to turn back to Judaism. And the whole book of Hebrews, when you read through it, there's a key word over and over again, better. Right? Because what the Hebrew writer is saying is, this new faith, this new covenant in Christ, it is better than that old way. That's, that's the whole book. And so here we see the, we see the writer of Hebrews, he's reminding them, these wonderful people of Jewish faith, he's reminding them what David said all those years ago. Don't harden your heart. Fast forward from there to now. How many of us, how many of us, we, we know someone who used to be very devout in their faith? We know somebody who used to be a believer and a follower in Jesus Christ. And they're not anymore. Some, some will try to give us intellectual reasons as to why they, why that is. Why they have come to an intellectual conclusion that God doesn't exist. Others, others if you really allow them the opportunity to tell you their story, what you will hear more than an intellectual response is an emotional response. You'll hear about something that happened in their life that has brought them to this point of not wanting to believe. You say you believe in God? Yeah, I used to be a follower of God too. But then my marriage fell apart. I cried out to God while my marriage was falling apart. Where was God when my marriage was falling apart? Yeah, I I believe in God, but you know what? I'll never forget when my mom was dying. I prayed countless hours that the life of my mother would be spared and that she would be restored to her health. And I believe that God had the power to do that. And He didn't do that. Where was God? Where was God when I was suffering? Where was God when I was going through the heartache? Where was God when I was going through the pain? Yeah, yeah, you know what? If there's really a God, where's He at? He wasn't there when I was hurting. Hmm. That's an emotional response, not an intellectual one. Church, it is so, so very important that all of us understand that every single one of us, every human being that breathes life for any amount of time at all, 
is going to experience the pain and the hardship and the heartache and the suffering of this life. That is this life. That is a part of living in this broken world is that we will inevitably face all of the heartache and the hardship. That's why it becomes so important that we guard our hearts in those moments. Because personally, I don't know of anything that can harden a heart quite as quickly as the hardships of this life. So we have to protect it. We have to guard our heart so that we don't allow ourselves to become so jaded and so cynical, so unbelieving as a result of some heartache we face. So, so how do we do that? Well, let's go back to the words of David. David said in Psalm 131, beginning in verse 1, or excuse me, Psalm 13, beginning in verse 1, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. Are you angry at God? Are you frustrated at God? Are you disappointed at God? Then tell Him. Because He already knows. It is okay to be just as transparent with God as David was all those years ago. God can absolutely handle it. He can handle it when we finally reach that point of saying, God, please hear me. This is where I am. This is how I'm hurting right now. I need you to know how bad I'm suffering. Talk to Him. Talk to God. That's exactly what David did. And we too. We can be just as honest with God. Because again, God's shoulders are broad enough for all of us and then some. But I want you to notice though, just being transparent with God and just telling God kind of off as it were and that, hey, I'm really hurting right now. That is just where David began. That's not where it stopped. You see, David also continued to trust in God even in the midst of the pain. Verse 5 says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. Even in the face of the disappointment, even in the face of the pain, even in the face of the frustration, David says, I still trust you, God. I, I still have faith. I still know that you are God. As we face the, the frustrations and the heartache of life, do we have that same type of faith that <clears throat> even though we're disappointed, even though we're hurt, we still know who's truly in control? That we still have the, the faith in God to trust in Him because we understand how big He really is and that He is the God of our salvation. And because He's the God of our salvation, we can trust in Him no matter what the problems of this life may be. But, but also notice, that's not where it ended with David either. You see, David, as a result of that, that trust, that faith, even in the face of the adversity, 
David knew that something, he needed something to kind of draw him nearer to God. And he would write in verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. How long are you going to let me suffer, God? But I'm going to continue to praise me because I know how great you are. I know how much you've blessed me. I recognize that even in the face of my suffering, even in the face of my sorrow, even in the face of my heartache, I can continue to praise you. These moments of worship, these moments of worship when we come together, they are absolutely wonderful, are they not? Because whether we realize it or not, there's a problem in every pew. Every one of us is going through heartache. Every one of us is going through pain. And as we assemble together collectively to worship our God and to praise Him, we do it in faith, not because we are problem-free, but because we are worshiping He who is greater than the problem. That we know that our faith is still in the God of our salvation. And we cherish these moments. We cherish these moments to help draw our hearts back to God whenever our hearts begin to escape. Begin to get a little bit hardened by the problems of this life. You know, in Romans one twenty one, we see how important it is to make sure that we're worshiping God, we see what can happen to us, to our hearts specifically, when we're not coming and acknowledging God and thanking Him. Romans one twenty one says, For although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the hardships of this life can absolutely harden our hearts, but so can sin. Sin is another thing that can absolutely lead to the hardening of our hearts. The Apostle Paul would go on to write about this a little further down in Romans chapter 1, where he would write about how sometimes God will, well, He'll allow us to be overcome by the sin that we worship. Going down to verse 24, he says, Therefore God gave them up in, their, in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worship the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So, sin, sin has a way, if we will allow it to, to harden our hearts. So how do we escape from that? How do we run from it? Actually, that's the answer. We run from it according to First Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22. There we're told to flee youthful passions. Running from my sin. That sounds too easy to be true. And you know as well as I do that whenever those sins that so easily entangle us, you know even when you have a desire to run away from those things, you know it feels like sometimes you're just running with like, I don't know, like 50 pound ankle weights on. And I mean, it just feels like you just can't get going. You just can't move forward the way you want to move forward. The way you know in your heart you need to move forward. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, we praise God because we know He's done the hard part, right? I mean, Jesus died on the cross to set us free. He did the hard part. But, but now for us, we have to move forward. We have to run. We have to leave behind that sin that so easily entangles us. 
And sometimes that still means we need help moving forward. We need help from one another when it comes to the the deeper issues of our heart. We need help from one another to hold one another accountable. We need help from one another to encourage one another. All so we can move forward so we can flee those youthful passions. And while running from your sin is a very good thing to do, making sure that you're running toward that which is good is equally as important. Paul going to say, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Listen, church, I uh, have about come to the conclusion that that which you pursue is even more important than that which you're striving to avoid. The things that you're striving, when it comes to having a good heart, a clean heart, a pure heart, the things in this life that we're striving to pursue, and they're even more important than the things that we strive to avoid. So it becomes so important that even though we want to leave sin behind, and that is the goal, but we're also looking for that which is good, and we're making sure that every day that these these things in our life, we're doing the things that will help us draw nearer to God. Instead of doing things that actually push us further away. So running toward that which is good is a good thing. But running with those who are doing the same. That's where it's at. He says, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You can't do this on your own. I can't do this on my own. We need one another. And so it becomes so important in our daily Christian walk that we are surrounding ourselves with like-minded people who are striving to grow in the Lord in the same way we're striving to grow in the Lord. Now it's very important. It's very important to have friends who are outside of Christ just so you can have the opportunity to share the Gospel with them. But if the majority of the people we surround ourselves with are unfaithful and are cynical and antagonistic when it comes to our faith in Christ, they will have much more of a profound effect on us than we will them. They will. They will pull us down a lot easier than we will ever be able to pull them up. So who you surround yourself with when it comes to protecting that heart of yours, when it comes to making sure that it's not growing hard, who you surround yourself with becomes absolutely essential in fleeing from sin. Hebrews chapter 3 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I know that we all have different gifts and talents, different abilities, but we also have a lot of the same responsibilities, okay? This is a similar responsibility that every one of us has, and it's to encourage one another. You see, the reality is all of us are probably only a few bad decisions away from having a hard heart ourselves. 
That's why it's so important that we're here and we're with one another. We're looking for those opportunities to encourage one another, to lift each other up, to stay on the right path, to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Because it's far too easy to fall away from the living God. So, so church, whenever we come together, if your attitude walking in this door, if your attitude is, hmm, let's see what I can get out of this today, then I would encourage you to leave that at home. Okay? That is not the attitude that you need walking in these doors. The attitude that all of us need whenever we assemble together is the same. That we come into this place with a humble heart, realizing it's not about us, realizing that there's those around us who they, they need that encouragement. They need that, that blessing. They need to be lifted up. And so, rather than always looking for what everybody should be doing for me, am I looking for the opportunities for how I can be a blessing for those around me? As long as it's called today, then we need to be a people who are encouraging each other to stay faithful to the one true living God. Because we know, we all know all too well, how quickly and how easily someone develops that hard heart and they can fall away from the living God. So what are the causes of a hard heart? Well, like I said a few moments ago, the hardness of life is definitely one. The sin is absolutely another. But so is pride. Pride would be a third that I think very important to bring up because you see, the moment you start to make decisions or live your life based on you think you know what is best for your life, then you are going to slowly begin drifting away from the one true living God. You don't know what's best. You're not in control of your life. And how often whenever we talk to people who have a pride-filled heart, how often we hear them, they talk about redefining, don't they? They talk about redefining what, what, what God's purpose for their life really is now or, or what they think God's will is now. They, they try to redefine what, what Scripture says. Instead of continuing to strive to make sure that the Word of God is the final authority, people with a prideful heart are always wanting to redefine what really is right or wrong, what really is acceptable or unacceptable. And I would say, church, to be very, very careful whenever those temptations begin to, to flitter in our minds. Because you see, God has never had any problem humbling those who have a prideful heart. In Obadiah verses 3 and 4, it says, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, Though your nest is among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. I think of Pharaoh, I think of Nebuchadnezzar, I think of countless others that God brought low as a result of their own pride. So what will do it? What could harden our hearts? 
the hardness of life, our struggles with sin, our pride. That's why the warning is there. The warning is there because it applies to all of us. All of us in the same way, maybe all of us in different ways. Don't allow your heart to be hardened. You know, if you're here today, if you're here today and maybe you have been experiencing some of the hardness of life, you're here and you're disappointed, you're frustrated, you're, you're angry, you're confused. You, you wonder sometimes where God really is. I want to thank you for being here. And I want you to know we love you very much. If you're here today and, and there's some sin issue that really has a, a, a tight hold on your heart, I want you to know that we're not a perfect people in this place and we are not looking to be a perfect people. But we readily acknowledge we are all imperfect in this place. And we are all in need of the only perfect person who's ever walked this earth. We're in need of the, the power and the blood of Jesus So if you're here today struggling with some sin issue, I want you to know we're thankful you're here. And we love you very much. If you're here and you're struggling with a prideful heart, well, it may be kind of hard for you to admit it right now. Because you're prideful. But I want you to know, all of us to some extent, we battle pride in various ways. And we're very glad that you're here. And we love you very much. Church, if we can help you in any way today to soften your hearts, we can help you in any way to battle the the hard heart. Won't you come while we stand and sing?